So welcome to the Schizoid Podcast. Today we have Ryan Driggers, a local Austin entrepreneur. Hello, uh, hello. Owns the owns and runs the Path Salon here, one of the one of the finest salons in the city. Been going there for about four years myself, so a loyal loyal client. And uh, got to know Ryan a little bit um, as a client, and a little bit out, outside of that. Uh, Ryan's also a fellow rideshare driver. Yes. which I think is pretty cool. So we've got that going on as well. Uh, also kind of a sneaker head. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, like a little bit of your hip-hop yep. music. Without a doubt. <laughs> Would you consider yourself a uh, Kanye West apologist? Um, <laughs> yes, without a doubt. 100%. We can go very, very deep into that conversation. <laughs> well, you know, on a side note, though, shout out to Christopher because he does cut your hair. I right. Oh, yeah, it's very true. Yeah, Christopher, <laughs> we'll give him a shout out for sure because he does a hell of a job. And it's an awesome, awesome guy. So, yeah, uh, man, I don't know. Uh, personally, I always kind of felt like I was a Kanye West apologist. But now I'm kind of like, after he came out with saying he would have voted for Trump and all that last little <clears throat> brouhaha he got himself into, I'm like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I, <laughs> he may have crossed the line there for me. Well, you know, I mean, I have a feeling that <clears throat> just like so many creative people, I mean, they go through a lot of different things. And, <laughs> you know, I think that that guy is, you know. He's feeling it right now. He's like isolated, you know, and it's like going through a very, very intense time in his life, which right. none of us have any sort of access to except for what we see and, you know, in the media. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, he kind of went off a little bit there, but I mean, I think shit was getting pretty fucking hectic, right? I mean, yeah. it had to have been, you know, yeah. and so it's like none of, we're not privy to all of that stuff, but it was like, he like cancel. Well, he like, um, he uh, scheduled like, 20 more or something more dates on his show and then said, that's not a good idea. I got, yeah. I got to go to the hospital. Yeah. I got checked at the hospital. <laughs> so I actually read an article that now he is in Wyoming or something. He's, he's, he's holed up on a mountain yeah. recording his new album. <laughs> yeah. It's like, he's like, he's like Moses or something right. at the top of the mountain, like splitting the Red Sea. He, um, yeah, I guess so. I can't wait to, you know, hear what that, what that all right. is, but it's like any, any hip hop artist, you know, it's like he, you know, he's a, dad now of two kids and his wife is gonna have a surrogate or they're gonna have a surrogate to have their next kids it's really? like life becomes yeah life becomes very complicated <laughs> and very weird and all of a sudden you're not that Kanye was ever really street but that he was <clears throat> things get a little bit more weird so I can't wait yeah. to see what he comes up <laughs> with because I don't know man it's gonna be uh it's gonna be interesting I don't know I always connect with him because he's he was always um, <clears throat> he's always communicated his struggle. He's always communicated his um, his process pretty dramatically. But right. when you look at it and you listen to what he's actually talking about, it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, you're a millionaire, and but you know you you have your own you know very similar struggles to you know anybody that's trying to do shit, right? You know, and so. That sort of stuff is always like really interesting to hear somebody talk about. And so what is, that's what drew, drew me to him, you know, is that when he started talking about that stuff, I was opening my salon. So, <clears throat> or I had an idea and I was trying to get money for it or, you know, all of these different things. I was like, oh yeah, I know exactly what's going on with that. I know exactly how that feels. I mean, yeah, he's Kanye West and he's talking about these things, but on a different scale, but, or he's experiencing these things on a different scale. But yeah, man, it's like. Yeah, that's when I started to really connect with him, and then I was like, "No, guys, he's he's not. <laughs> he don't, he's not. He's not crazy, you know." That's the bargaining when, that's, stage. That's right? when it all started, you know. And of course, in the salon, you know, it's just like standing across from, you know, everybody. Half the people hate him, and the other half are like, "What does Ryan have to say?" And then it just becomes <laughs> just like it becomes a part of like <clears throat> the dialogue, especially when you're the boss and you're sort of like directing the dialogue, you know. But but yeah, I mean, yeah, I've had many, 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 many conversations about him, <laughs> for sure. Uh, that's hilarious. That's actually a perfect segue into, we'll definitely circle around back into hip hop, because I definitely want to talk uh, a little bit more about, you know, maybe some action Bronson and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you at that show. That's exactly. Right. Exactly. Oh, which I think is, it's like the perfect, so I mean, lit. <laughs> had I known that the salon I was, I mean, that's all it would have taken to get my loyalty would have been yeah this <laughs> nice. the guy that owns the salon at the uh, Action Bronson show hangs out at uh, Action Bronson right. shows <laughs> but uh tell us a little bit about your background cuz i don't even know are you where are you from how did you get into 
hairstyling and um, yeah, opening right, the salon? So, yeah, I mean, born in Florida, um, my... Um, my uh, my biological father was in the um, military, and so traveled around. Um, Mom and dad got divorced um, when I was in early um, early grade school, and then moved to Texas, and um, uh, lived in Dallas. I'm from I say I'm from Dallas. Right um, that's where I uh, went to grade school. I went to high school in Dallas and Garland. Okay, and um, and yeah, man. So I didn't really do that great in high school. And, um, and I was looking really while I was in high school, I was already sort of looking like, what am I going to do? Because I don't think I'm going to college and all that stuff. So I started getting into, um, the service industry, you know, I started working, um, not really as a waiter or anything like that. I was working the door at clubs and bars. And so as an 18 year old, I was 17, really 17 and 18. I started working the door at bars and clubs in Dallas. So like. Deep Ellum or was Deep Ellum a thing um, at that point? Uh, no, not not Deep Ellum. Um, no, de- definitely Deep Ellum was definitely a thing at that point. It was um, um, it was getting pretty rowdy. I think that that's when it was really sort of at its height, but it was also starting to fall out of control. So I wasn't I wasn't working down there. I was right on. Um, I was working at uh, I was working at um, places like on Greenville Avenue. Okay, yeah. which are a little bit more like yeah, at that time. Chill. Yeah, they were a little bit more chill, more like dive bars not like clubs um until i did get into a club but it was uh um it was a type of club it was like uh, um uh it's like they all they played was disco <laughs> every night <laughs> well i worked friday uh friday saturday nights there and um it was like you know uh i think it was like uh late late 90s like 99 2000 and i was i was called the rio room um but anyway i was working there um, and, uh, it started to, you know, started to advance and, um, from my first job, my very first job as a bus boy, it like a pizza place. <laughs> um, I started to lose connection with like the social aspect of hanging out with my friends. And right. so <clears throat> as I was like now in my early twenties, um, all my friends are going out every Friday and Saturday night when I had to go work the door at some disco only club <laughs> where none of my friends were going to show up right. at, you know? And so, um, at that point I just kind of knew, I was like, you know, I'm not gonna, um, I want to do this. You know, I want to, I, I became a manager and I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> you know, like <clears throat> I'm doomed, you know, right. because I was looking at all the other people that were around me, all great people. It was a cool job. It was fun. I was, you know, making money and all that stuff. But, um, to work every Friday and Saturday night of your life till four in the morning. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, just, um, in a, you know, my nature just kind of hustling constantly. It's like, I just like, this can't be a part of it. And I was, yeah. I was grateful to have some, a little bit of foresight in, in, in that regard. So I immediately started to look to do something different, which was, you know, still, um, use the skills, you know, customer service and social skills that I had, you know, kind of came naturally. Right. Um, and yeah, just reach out to my friends. And one of those friends was the guy that was cutting my hair. And, um, he's like, yeah, why don't you cut hair? And so, you know, he kind of held my hand a little bit and kind of said, you know, Hey, this is the way it breaks down. This is what you got to do in regards to like, go to school. Yeah. Um, you know, find an apprenticeship, which is really important. And, um, and, uh, that was, uh, that was kind of like the jump off. And so he, um, I went to, went to hair school in Dallas, um, this kind of like normal hair school, it's called Ogle, um, and, uh, went to school there. And then actually I ended up not working with that guy. I was really super excited to work with him, but when it came time for me to graduate, uh, he didn't have an availability. And so, um, you know, I went to, uh, to work for a, another salon called Clive and Company in Dallas and. It was very, um, it was right up my alley. It was like a lot of very disciplined, <laughs> you know, something I think a lot of us need. Some, some personalities do better with that, but um, very disciplined environment and um, was able to learn some great skills and work there for about, for about six years in Addison. So it's like okay. nor- North yeah. Dallas. Um, pretty, pretty, um, I mean, it was pretty vanilla area. I mean, yeah. we, were, we were doing cool haircuts and stuff like that, but nothing like super awesome. And so, um, yeah, from that, it was, uh, it was great. It was a great start. And then, um, 
you know, got a little bit older and started my, my friends were cutting hair. I had friends, right. And in my industry friends and kind of got, uh, kind of got pulled away from that spot. Um, and, uh, worked at a salon, uh, a little in, uh, in uh, Highland park and, um, worked there for about a year. So all my friends worked at the salon and, um, go there. I'm super hyped up about hanging out with these guys and, uh, less than a year into me working there, they all, you know, they, quit, they, all, huh? they all quit. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I had a similar experience actually, cause I spent <sighs> a couple of years in Dallas doing residential property management mm -hmm. and I kind of, the same thing was like friends that got me into it and whatnot. And then they all kind of left slowly, but surely all yeah. filtered out. So, but I have definitely a familiarity with, let's say I was there in like 2012 to 2000, no wait, 2009 to uh -huh. 2000. 12 or so. Uh -huh. So definitely spent a lot of time and I didn't deep Ellum was kind of had fallen off at that point and a lot of the stuff had shuttered. Um, so I think it's had a resurgence recently. Oh yeah. Big time. I mean, whenever I, when I used so I, I lived it on there before I moved to Austin, uh -huh. I lived in, um, exposition park, which is just really yeah. just outlying of deep Ellum. And when, um, when I was in high school and growing up, <clears throat> um, uh, it was crazy down there like madness, like, you know, sixth street madness, people in the streets and it became violent is yeah. what happened is it people were getting into lots of fights and the city was just like, we're done. We're not, we're going to, we're setting this place up for a long term revival. And so we're shutting everything down. And so they were like not giving licenses to any businesses that needed licenses. And they were like, to tr totally trying to change it. Now it's unrecognizable. I mean, there's like a, there's like, corporate spaces down there and you know way more art way more interesting right. stuff but but anyway so but uh but yeah deep ellum i haven't been there in a while <laughs> but uh yeah so anyway so these guys um these guys left and so i was kind of left kind of like oh, okay guys what am i going to do now and i had a girlfriend that lived in uh, austin so i was driving <laughs> driving oh, to austin every weekend <laughs> Oh, that drive is so terrible. <laughs> it was, but you know, when you're when you're coming down to meet, see your girlfriends, it's, yeah. it was like, oh, I got it. I'm gonna you know do this. Fuck it. Um, and so anyway, so um, uh, and so yeah, when I, I I I was able to kind of transfer the salon that I was working at, which was very unique. Um, you know, it's kind of terrifying to leave your leave your salon, um, especially if it's in a totally different market. You know, you just kind of go from from, uh, you know, making good money to nothing, you yeah. know, which it doesn't take very long to, to get going in some places. But anyway, um, I was lucky to transfer, um, and, uh, to this other salon and I worked at this other salon for about a year and, um, I thought that that was going really well. Um, but, uh, I got fired. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Getting fired's awesome. Um, hadn't that really happened to me many times, uh, before it was came as a surprise, but it was a big wake up call. Like what, you know, what am I doing? You know, am I going to, you know, sort of like float around and sort of be somebody's employee or am I going to try to make something else happen? So that's when I became an independent contractor, which one of the reasons why some of my friends left the salon that I was at in Dallas was because they wanted to become independent contractors. Um, they were doing really, really well. The independent contractor thing just started taking off. Um, there were some of those lease, lease chair salon suite type places in Dallas, but um, it really just, it really started to take off. And so, um, anyway, that's what those guys were doing. And so that's what I wanted to do. Um, and, um, and so when I got fired, that was just like, oh, cool. This is my opportunity. And, um, it was, uh, it's, it's, it was a, it was an interesting, you know, it, the repercussions of that move, um, you know, still are, you know, are felt today, you know, just in my, my philosophies of everything and how I approach stuff is, you know, owning your own business, there's so much to it. And as hairdressers, um, as we um, get the opportunity, especially with the independent contractor thing being so popular these days, um, you know, you really got to have your shit together. And, you know, nobody's really packaging it as a, um, a thing that uh, requires a lot of effort. They're packaging it as something that is going to make your life easier. <laughs> and uh, it's a big, it's a big false um, right. without guidance was a big false thing. So anyway, so, um, uh, so I became an independent contractor and, you know, I was living the life, you know, as far as flexibility and all of those things, but, um, the responsibility of it all is really, it was really, um, 
It was really hard to get a grasp of paying your taxes, making sure that you're marketing yourself, right. all of these different things, which, you know, the other salons were taking care of all of that. But um, eventually, you know, started to get a gri- uh, gra- uh, grasp of that and um, worked at this, uh, worked as an independent contractor at this salon and, um, you know, I got, I got fired again. Oh, shit. As an independent contractor, you know, I didn't get fired. I had my lease, my lease terminated. Um, but it was, again, just another thing. It was like, wow, like, I just need to do this myself and I need to be in charge. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, anything that I'm doing right now is, is sort of coming around and kicking me in the ass. So, so that was the, um, so that was the, uh, the start of PATH, um, my two, uh, two best friends. They, um, I called those guys up and was, I was actually, I was actually, um, uh, I was actually going to an interview, sort of a, a pre-interview with an owner of a a salon and, um, they don't own the salon anymore, Mint Salon, um, in North Austin or on Guadalupe in in Austin, but they also owned uh, a women's athletic clothing store. And they also, when I went on, the, went to this interview, and I love this story just because it was, it was a pretty epic moment. Um, at the interview, it was in this like mezzanine loft area of this women's clothing store. And I looked around and I saw all these renderings like stapled up on the wall of this business. And I was like, damn, I was like, you know, we're talking about hair salon stuff. We're in a women's clothing store, but there's all these renderings of Royal Blue Grocery all over this place. And, um, you know, I left that, uh, I left that interview and I went down to my car and I called my buddies right away and it was like, dude, we need to open our own salon. Of course, Royal Blue now is on almost, well, it probably will be on every block yeah, <laughs> in downtown, in town, downtown Austin, you know, it's just sort of like your downtown Austin convenience store, but, um, it was really inspiring. And so, and so, yeah, I partnered up with, uh, with my buddy Charles and Greg and we opened path. And, um, so it was uh, 10 years ago. So we've been open for 10 years now. So, um, so yeah, man, it's been in the, that's just, I mean, that's just the beginning of a whole nother story. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I actually found you guys on uh, on Yelp. Yep. <laughs> and I even t- I took a look yesterday, actually, just to kind of prep, and I saw still about 171 reviews. Yeah. And pretty much like a four and a half star yep. rating, which is <clears throat> I think pretty impressive. But I definitely like the vibe you guys have going on because it's, pr- it's pretty chill. It's got like an Austin vibe without being too, you know. I think a lot of times, and I'm sure working in Highland Park, you can get that feel where it's like it's kind of snooty. It's like there's a yeah, in Highland and Park, and Highland, the one great thing about Highland Park was I I worked in a, a salon that actually feels a lot like Path, uh-huh. um, and I also worked in Snyder Plaza in Highland Park, and that's like a it was a little bit of a low key, but no, I mean I do get the reference. I mean I do understand. Or what even you're just I think you know because I think I mean I think that hairstylists are always the most fascinating people. Like I've always. <laughs> thought that uh one of my mom's best friends growing up was a hairstyle actually two friends so they had a little shop in our hometown and uh-huh. that's where i got my haircut yeah and you know so i i don't know i've always had like a fondness for the people from the industry because they're yeah. cool usually like it's yeah. like you know tattoos inter- dress interestingly right. you know are always interesting people I've got a so. story to tell yeah, yeah. exactly so i've always kind of had a soft spot for for people from that industry um so What's next? Because I know you guys have done some expansion recently on the new wing. and Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, fast forward 10 years, we opened up. We were a small shop. Um, and we basically, you know, as the, um, as the, uh, the, the spaces, the commercial spaces um, next door to our original space opened up, we, we acquired them. Um, and right now, um, you know, I've always wanted to expand, get bigger, you know, da 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 but um, something that's a little bit more pressing now is just the overall environment in Austin, um, the, uh, the the commercial real estate environment, number one, um, and how does that you know affect um, how does that affect the future of a small business? Right. And so lots and lots and lots of time being spent um, doing research and seeing else what's going on out there, um, because especially along Congress um, that 
some of these smaller homegrown, um, you know, you know, South Austin businesses are starting to, you know, relocate or be shut down or, um, or, you know, there's a, there's a whole laundry list of things that are happening, but, um, but right now it's about sort of changing or evolving our, uh, our current, our current business plan, our current model, which, you know, for a long time was really focused on independent contractors. Um, and, um, and doing something that we, we feel and we get the benefit of the efforts that we put forth. Um, you know, independent contractors pay a monthly, I mean, excuse me, a weekly rent. Um, and, you know, if they are making a million dollars a year, we still get that, you know, static amount of money. Right. And so um, by having commission stylists, which is, um, which is uh, sort of the traditional model, then we reap the benefits of that. Um, our lease is up in two years, and so we have a lot of time to um, to work with that. The salon's not full, so we have to be full. You know, we have to all the chairs full. Um, so really, it's really kind of staying staying put right now. It's like, what can we do to get ready for um, the increase in rent that we will be experiencing? Oh, yeah, no doubt. <clears throat> yeah, whenever, um, so about uh, two years ago, Amy's ice cream, which had been in our shopping center for a decade, they went to go renew their lease, and the landlord was to raise their rent forty percent, and so they left. And so that was a great wake up call for yeah, us, seriously. like make sure, like, hey, what are we doing? What <laughs> right. moves do we have to make? Um, and so, um, and then just listening and seeing um, what's happening along South Congress, which is, you know the the more traditional SoCo area, the shopping area, seeing what's going on down there, um, and uh, and seeing and seeing what those guys are going to the smaller shops and stuff. It's like okay, cool. We have to have our shit together. Like we have to be making a lot of money to be able to withstand the type of um, rent hike that we're gonna get. Um, and we're, you know, this is, these are substantial, you know, these are like all the profits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah, 40% cost well, increase is pretty significant. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that, that itself, but you know, some of the other businesses right now down there, they're going up to, um, they're, they're raising their rent like four times. Damn. So, you know, I don't know what to expect exactly, right. but, but anyway, I mean, that's what the future holds is to stay put and to make our business successful so that we don't have to move. Um, you know, if it comes down to it, we might have to move, but we're, we're working on building relationships with like our lender and our bank and our, you know, all the other people in the industry is like, you know, Hey, if we don't, if we don't, if we can't withstand that, do we have to relocate? Do we buy something? What do we do? And so, um, all of those things are just like constantly happening right now because nothing is nothing right now. I think in Austin, when you have a small business is like concrete. Or yeah. solid, and you have to. I mean, there's just the. It's like seventy dollars a square foot in South Congress for for um, for a commercial re- retail space. That's yeah, that's a lot of money. Absolutely, you have to, you have to do a lot of haircuts. <laughs> um, right, but um, but really, that's but really that you know, as regards to what Path is up to, I mean, that's really it. I mean, we're trying to always you know um, uh, grow our staff and sort of solidify people's careers and solidify their earning potential where you know that's the great thing about austin it's like the rent's going up but so are haircut prices and so is everything else <laughs> right i mean you know so um that's really exciting that's the more exciting part is that you know uh, the um the uh the other part of it is that we get to you know make more money but you know as everybody knows it's getting more expensive to live here true so you know that's that's what it is well yeah i think definitely in terms of the clientele i'm sure there's you know as we grow there'll be more demand for, you know, high-end styling and whatnot. You know, it's kind of interesting to think about. Um, I was listening to NPR this morning. I I gave some guys a ride, some guys from Providence, or Uh or they were Rhode Islanders. And I gave them a ride up to uh, Topgolf. Anyways, on the way back, I'm listening to NPR, and they're talking about how basically online delivery models are, you know, displacing you know, what we would think of in terms of retail, obviously with like Amazon, right? But also all the delivery services right now. So a lot of kind of the brick and mortar retail model that we've seen is probably going to, it's going to go away to some extent. 
but with your business is kind of different. It's in a different space. It's not exactly what do you do? What do you have a you have a van that comes up to somebody's house and cuts hair? It's kind of like where how do you innovate that? And yeah. because like you're saying, I mean that rent per square foot is only going to go up seemingly, right. right? I mean, I don't know if there's I don't know where um, you know besides raising prices, <laughs> you know how that you know how that really how we're gonna you know, do that. I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. I mean, I don't know, even know how that translates really. I mean, there are a lot of stylists out there that do house calls, but, um, it's having a solid business plan and being with a salon that's got a really, really solid plan. I think that is the only way. I mean, there are a lot of salons in town that are like kind of the institutions of this town. And I hope that path is sort of trickling into that space, but what happens over the next course, um, course of the next couple of years will determine how solid, you know, our, our legacy in Austin right. as a hair salon will be because, <clears throat> you know, you, you know, in, in this, in this, uh, in this current environment, it's like you move to a place that's cheaper to run your business, you know, but that pushes you outside of Austin. Yeah. And so I don't and know. And what's convenient for people, you know, people are probably going to go, you know, unless they're your, uh, trusted clients like myself, you know, I would dr- probably drive anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, dude. That's a great question. I mean, you know, right now my philosophy on that is, um, you know, increasing my staff and increasing um, their uh, their their abilities by offering education and increasing their you know the prices of of what we do. Right. You know? But you know, I mean, those are those are. I try not to go that far down that rabbit hole because then that becomes like this this a little bit it's a little bit weirder when it comes to service you know, we are providing a service, you know, and it's like, I wish a robot could do my hair or something (laughs) like that. It's like, it's like those sorts of things are not, um, it's not easily as translatable, you know, into like, you know, food delivery. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Do you remember, uh, did you ever watch uh, Wayne's World whenever they had that device, the uh, suck cut? (laughs) Yes. Oh, of course. Wayne's World without a doubt. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, that's I don't know that when you were mentioning that robots uh, that just kind of came to mind. So you know, like it certainly does suck. <laughs> it does suck. <laughs> but anyway, so you gave some guys a ride, like the whole rideshare thing, man. I'd love to talk about that a little bit for sure. Yeah, man. Let me. I'd like to know your experience because I sh- I will sh- shamefully say that I have given Uber rides, and I feel I feel terrible. Oh man, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I feel terrible about it. Uh, but you know, it's like at the end of the day, I, I've got bills to pay. I've yeah. got to get them paid somehow. I mean, obviously, Ride Austin, I absolutely support of above course. anyone else, and would prefer if they were the only option, or right. you know, if the demand was there. But you know, I don't know. It's like I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, you drive and you pick people up, <laughs> right? And you know, it's like <clears throat> you know, it's like um, you know, just like what we're talking about is like competition and things are going to happen i mean anybody that thought that uber was going to not come back is crazy you know and i think that i think that just by the simple fact that ride austin didn't change their pricing um the week before uber and lyft came back that they kind of were thinking something i don't know what they were thinking but i i always i had a lot of faith in ride austin because um the way that they came onto the market from my perspective as a driver was that they were going to dictate what was happening. And even, even ride Austin drove the price of rideshare down in Austin because it was way higher before ride Austin showed up. And so, um, for them to not change their pricing structure before Uber and Lyft came, I thought it was a huge mistake. Like they right. should have been like all over that. Yeah. But I don't feel bad for driving for Uber. I mean, <clears throat> I don't really give a shit. I mean, it's just like <laughs> one of those things. It's like it, you know, I'm getting to the point now and I've read enough and I've done the math enough and you know, it's, you know, and also the experience, the very, you know, unfortunate, a reminisce, <laughs> reminiscent, of um becoming an independent contractor as a right. hairdresser <laughs> and the um the the financial repercussions of that and then sort of you know I've been able as the owner of Path Salon to be able to take myself out of that um you know getting paid a salary 
versus um, being an independent contractor. And, um, you know, it sucks. <laughs> Rideshare driving sucks when it comes to the money of it because really, you know, it's, um, you've got to drive a lot. And I think that that's something that I think is becoming, I have some sort of weird feeling that the, the, the new people that are running um, Uber are going to help change that. Um, but, um, but, but it's, 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 it, unless you're driving full time, man, it's a, it's a rough deal. Yeah. And, um, when it comes time to pay your taxes and when you come, you look at the depreciation of your car and you look at all the money that you're spending, it's, you know, it just, you know, and I'm just, I'm starting to feel that more and more. Of course, um, when taxes came due this year, I was like, damn. I was like, man, I forgot about this part. Yeah. And uh, I didn't forget about it. But, you know, I I um I was, you know, it's it's almost like a um it's instant gratification. Yeah. And when <laughs> when when everything and, and so and it is when it's feels like a cash business. But um but uh but yeah, I'm I'm getting pretty over it. But I have this weird idea that like, you know, Uber's been pulling a loss for so long, these massive losses. And it's like you know, $700 million and $900 million. And, you know, it's, um, you know, they're going to have to change something. And for rideshare to be so cheap, um, not that it needs to be expensive, but that it's so cheap, um, you know, they're going to have to change a lot of stuff because, I mean, although they have all the money in the world right now, you know, people are getting tired of it. And I think that that's yeah. what we're seeing right now is that, you know, the investors and, you know, um, obviously morally the country's in shit, but, um, <laughs> but, um, right. but just seeing how much losses they're, they're pulling every month. Cause I mean, I think that they're, I think that, um, I read somewhere they're making like pennies for every ride. And even though they're, you know, taking money, what they actually are making off of is like pennies, which, it's not pennies because they're pulling a $700 million loss. So right. they're not making any money. They're yeah. losing tons of money. So I hope that they change it. But, you know, as an individual, personally, my personal thoughts, I'm so over it. I've, um, I've uh, changed so many different things to make it more uh, my schedule, my life, you know, to make it more, um, I like to say, deal withable. <laughs> but <laughs> um, technical term. It is. But, um, but it's tough, man. It's tough. I, I mean, I, I, I've had early on, I had a lot of cool, fun stories about rideshare and it was kind of like this nostalgic thing. And I think even, even as a rider, um, you know, you'd pop into somebody's car and it'd be this cool thing. And, but now it's just like, man, it's a way to get around. Right. And for the drivers, it's sucking the life out of some people, <laughs> you know, and that's, um, and that's, uh, you know, that's my take on it right now. I struggle with it almost every day trying to figure out exactly, you know, what's going on with it because I read an, I did, I read an article, um, about how, you know, technology is supposed to, um, make our lives easier. And, um, we're all under this impression that technology is going to make life more simple and, you know, more accessible. And, but for people like myself that, could fit every moment of every single day um, into hustling and trying to make money and trying to, you know, uh, do things that the Airbnb, the rideshare, the favor, the turn on the app and make money and turn it off and you're done. That just is like filling every moment of some of our existence where it's right. like not making my life easier. <laughs> it's making my life fucking way more complicated. <laughs> Actually, it's, you know, I'm working my ass off every day for 17 hours, 20 hours. And so, you know, and I'm 40, 41. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, Oh God, just like make it stop. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to where I don't have to drive all that often. I probably put yeah. in, I don't know, maybe, six to eight hours a week and I just yep. kind of do it on my days off a little bit yep. in the morning just to kind of supplement because it's just like my nine to five I'm just not quite there yep. and it's more you know I'm sure you can relate it's like the, yeah the spending you know especially yeah, absolutely <laughs> well no I mean for me you know I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat I do probably more like 10 to 15 hours a week um and um you know I I was uh got divorced in uh, a year ago 
And so, and I traveled to see my son in Chicago. And so that, that was a way to, um, um, to close the gap, you know, with child support and, um, right. and then the, the expenses of, of traveling to Chicago is, um, the way to kind of fill the gap. And so when I started driving, I mean, I was driving like a maniac. I was just like, go to the salon, work all day, you know, start rideshare driving. And this was before Uber and Lyft left. So the vibes were way different. <laughs> right. And, you know, um, working the way that I was working, you know, I was making like, you know, 500 to to $1,000 a week. And that really helped to close the gap. But man, after, after you do that for a while, it's like, oh God. Yeah, it really... It really doesn't. And that's what I've been able to whittle it down to like 10 to 15 hours a week right now. Yeah. But, um, and the same thing, just trying to, uh, to, like I said, close the, close the gap on some, some, um, some of my finances, but, but it, uh, it takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot out of you. It's a beautiful service. It takes a lot out of you. I'm, I can't wait to, to be done. And I have a brand new car. <laughs> it has 36,000 miles. on it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, right. Oh God. Yeah. Like a brand new car with, 36,000 miles on it. Yeah. It's like, Oh my God. So anyway, I mean, I, I know if I know like we're essentially trading the, uh, what the, uh, depreciation of, <laughs> like you said, the upfront benefits for the long term loss yeah. probably, but I feel like I do it just enough. It's like, I, I'm getting closer and closer to where I can sustain myself on one job. So f- yeah, fingers crossed for that. Yeah, no, I feel you. And on a side note, I have my motorcycle on uh, eBay right now, which is very sad um, to to have to sell a motorcycle. Right. But um, it has about 20 minutes left, which is a little scary because I'm looking at this right now and it's counting down. <laughs> and um, it's been viewed over 1,100 times. That's a lot. And I have 30 watchers and zero bids. So I'm thinking in the next 20 minutes, either this thing is going to sell or it's not. <laughs> Either way, those are the two options, right? right? Either way, you're going to be, I mean, I feel like that's a bummer, whether it sells oh. or like either way, you're going to yeah. lose out, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it, you know, this is a, this is a, a big moment because the bike was, um, you know, as always the way I, there's, there are 20, 25,000 miles on this motorcycle. So it was my mode of transportation for like four, four years, four or five years. I drove it, you know, um, exclusively. Um, and so, um, and so I was pretty tight with this bike, but to be perfectly honest over the past year, I have not been able to ride it nearly as much as I want to. And so, um, it's time, it's time for it to go. It's time for it to go. So what kind of bike? It's a Ducati sport classic. So, you know, in, in regards to you know, how sweet this bike is. It's pretty sweet. Um, but we're about to see how sweet it is because, you know, if there's, uh, these guys out here in the, in the eBay world watching it and it's not that sweet, then they're not going to buy it. But, um, but yeah, it's a great bike. They made it from 2006 to 2009 and they stopped making it. And so, and then that's right when the sort of cafe racer craze, you know, mass market craze sort of happened. But, they, um, they start production in 2009. And so, um, so this particular bike is very special. A lot of people like it and want it because hey, it's a Ducati, but because it's a two, because it's a sport classic that it's sort of the original modern cafe racer bike. So, right so we'll see, we'll see. We've got uh, 18 minutes here. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens as the <laughs> bids start rolling in. But anyway, I've always joked that I would, if I was going to buy a bike, I would buy a Ducati and yeah. I would, I would probably never ride it Yeah, because I've never been on a motorcycle, but, but I, I don't know. I've just always wanted to have a Ducati. I don't yeah. Know yeah. Well, no, I mean, they're awesome. I mean, the thing is, it's <laughs> like, you know, it, um, uh, obviously, um, this was my first motorcycle, so it was a little crazy. I was like, I want that shit. <laughs> right. I'm getting I'm it. doing it. I got it. <laughs> and so, um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, as soon as you start getting into motorcycle culture and you start riding around, I mean, yeah, it's the best feeling. I mean, that's the other side of this, like, you know, working as much as I do being away as much as I am like, this is like, you don't, I don't have anything to do when I'm on this thing. Like I just have to ride this thing. And so it's a beautiful thing whenever you get into it. I mean, it's dangerous, but I think it's becoming more and more, um, more and more, uh, uh of the norm. You see more people riding motorcycles and, 
uh, commuting on motorcycles where, you know, um, you would just see guys on Harleys, right. you know, um, you know, on the open road where now we're seeing a lot more people commuting on motorcycles and stuff like that, which it makes it a little bit more s- safe. Um, for the most part, I think it makes it a lot more safe. So, um, but, but yeah, man, if you want a bike, you should just, you should take the motorcycle safety course. That's what I always <laughs> tell people. You right. want a motorcycle, take the motorcycle safety course. Might then, come in handy, right? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> you get a deduction on your insurance and you get a little taste of it and you know, but, uh, but yeah, I was, what is another bike that I was always fascinated with was the, uh, Harley V rod. I thought that thing, was, the V rod, oh man, what a yeah. sexy bike. That thing, I think that's one of the first motorcycles that I think ever caught my attention that, that it wasn't a Harley. It was like this totally different thing. And I don't even, I don't even know if that's still around. Yeah, I, I don't I, either. It's I don't been even, a while. Um, it's kind of reminiscent of like the, um, the Divel, the Ducati Divel. So I think that those resemble each other, um, very, very closely. But I do remember that probably is one of the first motorcycles that I was like, Oh, yeah. that's cool. It's the V rod, <laughs> right. you know? And, um, it's so much different looking than, than Harley Davidson's, but man, that thing's been out for a long time. So I must've been really young when I noticed that, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, what kicked it off. I don't know why I wanted to get a motorcycle. I was, um, my uh my ex was moving to austin i had seen the tron movie the tron movie the, <laughs> the guy new tron movie. the new tron movie he had a uh, not so new anymore but anyway he um he had a sport classic and um my best friend charles he um he was starting to get into motorcycles and so it was like you and your buddy you're like right. having this conversation about motorcycles and all of a sudden you like you see one that you want and, and i think that's just what started it off i can't i can't imagine yeah yeah, just a good excuse to be crazy. Right on. <laughs> the wind through your hair. Exactly. Um, no, I know you're also, in addition to all these other things, you're a, kind of a, what are, are, would you consider yourself a sneakerhead? No, not anymore. Not anymore? Not anymore. I mean, I, and, and I do, I mean, let's just say, I mean, let me see. Yeah, I guess a, a sneakerhead with like some responsibilities and... <laughs> Um, you know, sneaker money, sneaker money in 2017 (laughs) is different than sneaker money in like 2005. Right. You know, in 2005, you know, sneaker money, let's say 2002, 2002, 2005, um, sneaker money was like, you got a hundred bucks, you go get your fly shit. And there was a sneaker shop in town, which I don't even remember the name, which I'm super sad that I don't remember. But I was friends with those guys. I go up there. It was downtown. The salon. About nice kicks, maybe. No, it wasn't no. nice kicks. But nice predated kick, nice kicks. Maybe? Yeah, it was before nice kicks. But but with nice kicks was was um was in town at that okay. point. But there was another shop, and I forget. God, it was on Brazos. It was downtown. It was on Brazos. Anyway, and um, um, and so it was like, yeah, sneaker money is like a hundred bucks, you know. You get a hundred bucks, you, you go to, you go to the sneaker shop, you know, and there was some limited edition stuff and, you know, stuff that people wanted and, you know, that you couldn't get. And Austin's always been a terrible market for sneakers. Right. So, you know, um, you know, so it was this, the kind of thing where, you know, then I was like, yeah, like I was, you know, kind of hustling and working hard and, um, you know, had a hundred bucks here and there and I would go and buy a pair of sneakers, you know, once a month or every paycheck. You know, and, but now in 2017, sneakers, the after sale market, again, the sneaker culture or the sne- sneakers availability in Austin is still, you know, you know, it's not pretty shitty. Yeah, it's not available. They're not available. You know, you right. can't just go get them. And so um, and, and you can't really do that anywhere, but or especially not in Austin. And so and now, you know, it's buying on the secondary market is, you know, you know. 200 bucks, 250 bucks, you know, sneakers themselves are just more expensive. So anyway, I do look at sneakers a lot. (laughs) Um, I do, um, I do, uh, uh, pride myself on the sneakers that I have, but you know, I wear the shit out of my sneakers and you you, man, I I wear the shit out of mine too. Yeah. Got to wear them. Yeah, you have to. And well, I mean, you know, some guys would say no, you don't. <laughs> you just put those things in a box and throw them in the closet. But, but yeah, I wear I wear them. Uh, I wear them, and um, 
but uh, but yeah, no, I'm always on top of that. You know, I mean, it's like you. Know, what do you what do you what do you wear? What's what's your style? What what's your thing? And you know, having some cool shoes is just sort of like the baseline. I can right, rock right. a t-shirt and jeans every day, and as long as I've got some fresh kicks, and I feel fine. Exactly. And I can uh, you know I can go about my day and and not have to worry about it. But but um but yeah, man, the sneakerheads are real sneakerheads out there. I mean, I heard some you know it's hard to the um. The secondary sneaker market is bigger than some sneaker sh- um, companies, you know, and yeah, um, min- minus Adidas, minus Nike, but like the secondary market is bigger than every other sneaker, um, sneaker. Oh, company. I believe it. Yeah. And so, you know, that just, you know, goes to show that, you know, if you got a $180 pair of shoes or sell for eight retail, they're going to go for 250 and that's, you know, that's a lot for a pair of shoes. <laughs> Absolutely. What do, What are you rocking today? Oh, these are my these are my these are my beaters. These are your beaters, huh? These are my beaters. They're just um, the all white um, Ultra Boost, but um, the first the first gen Ultra Boost. But I just picked up the um, the triple blacks, the Ultra Boost triple blacks. The Ultra Boost are just the best shoe in my opinion. I just I could wear these things forever. They're like right. slippers. I mean, so um, they just you just cannot fucking get them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean every time I'm on the every time I'm on the uh, on adidas.com and i'm just trying to like refresh 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 <laughs> and it's like you just can't you cannot get them it's seriously ridiculous what do we got here you got All a right. bid coming through no no bids 11 minutes 11 minutes huh? i don't know man we'll see you know at least the bots maybe the bots <laughs> will start throwing these right. bids out for this these uh these uh this motorcycle oh my god anyway so since you were coming today, I I decided I'd I got a new pair myself. Oh, you did. Let's yeah, check them out. I'll let me, I'll put them up on the table for you so you can see. These are this is a pair I'm really proud of. What are those? So the this is a collaboration between Adidas and the uh, designer Rick Owens. Oh, Rick Owens, yeah, he's fucking uh, wild. But those are sort of those are, you know, Rick Owens is pretty wild. Like these are pretty subdued for like a Rick Owens shoe, right? Like he comes out with some crazy shit. Yeah. Uh. So these are actually and you. Once I point this out, you'll be like, yeah, these are based on the NMD. Uh-huh. And so that's what the block represents. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, they also have some boost. It's not like the Ultra, bu- ultra Boost or Pure Boost. Yeah, the Ultra Boost. There's yeah. definitely some boost on the insole, which and so is cool. You just can't see the, the thing on the outside. Not on the outside. It's just yeah, yeah. it's actually in the, the insole. Yeah, yeah. So Nice. Yeah, those are fresh. I though, um the collaborations, man, it's Rick Owens and Jeremy Scott, all those collaborations, man, they go freaking wild. It's <laughs> just so wild. I, I love it. That's what I'm into is like the designer sneaker realm. Yeah. Because it's what's cool about that, it's like you spend a, yeah, you probably spend more money than you would even yep. on this secondary market. Yeah. Unless it's a pair of like Yeezys or something like that. Yep. But it's like nobody, yep. the market, the, such a niche market, yep. you know what I mean? Nobody's rocking them. You can always oh, I, get something super cool. I remember very specifically when I was into the designer collaboration sneakers. And it was actually right when I was leaving Dallas and right when I came into Austin. And I had like, um, um, I had a pair of Pumas. Um, and I want to say like Yoji Yamamoto collaboration they were like the craziest freaking sneakers i'd ever had and i was just started totally getting into these these crazy shapes and these crazy designs and the materials were always the same but oh man i remember i remember having different pairs and like people would look at my shoes like what the fuck is that <laughs> on your feet you know it's like looks like a looks like the 80s threw up on your feet like, right yeah it, it, did. it did i'll have to break out a couple of my other pairs and show you once we wrap <laughs> up because they're pretty cool they're a little bit wilder ish well kind of yeah you'll, you'll just have to see for yourself uh but that's actually kind of a good a good segue we'll we'll circle back around because uh, i know we're coming up on you're probably gonna have to run fairly soon as we'll circle around and talk a little bit about hip-hop <laughs> the state of hip hop. The state of hip hop. I am no, I am no uh, master of this, um, this, um, this, uh, this topic, but I definitely have my opinions. <laughs> well, I, I just think it's awesome that you like Action Bronson and that you were at an Action Bronson show. Who was like, that's kind of my my pipe dream for this podcast. Is that yeah. like the highlight would be I can get somebody like Action Bronson to yeah. come on. Oh well, first of all, you're gonna have to have a lot more dabs. <laughs> 
gonna have a lot more weed on this table. A lot more gonna, food. A lot more food. Yeah, man, it's gonna have to be a little bit different, I'm sure, to attract that dude. I think he does his own, right? It's, um, his don is um, uh, fuck that's delicious, and I think it's not a podcast, but a show, like yeah. a little mini show that he does, a video show, because he's big into his um, big into his cooking and everything like that, right? Yeah, uh, they actually have a show on the Viceland yeah. Network. Yeah. So he does that, but he also has this other one. It's called, uh, it's like Action Bronson Watches Ancient Aliens and Friends. That's not the right title. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, man, that's, um, yeah, that guy's a trip for sure. They, um, that show was pretty epic. I was actually there with Christopher. Yeah, I know. And um, I we were, I was so lit. And, <laughs> and, uh, and for whatever fucking reason, um, we were like, uh, <laughs> we were saying, um, say barbecue and right. like that's how drunk we were and like was hoping that you know his his show was very like one track after the other he was not yeah he wasn't any sort of like dialogue with the crowd it was just like boom straight through every track which was great but you know it kept wanting him to go off on like this little mini like the food in austin barbecue and then, right you know and that's that's what we spent the whole night like laughing and dancing and just like carrying on like hoping that action bronson would say like barbecue or but, tacos at the very least something <laughs> he said nothing yeah. he said none of the none of the sort none of the sort but um but yeah, I don't know if he's, he might be coming out with something new soon. I don't know what if he's is he is he coming out with another album anytime soon or I've seen rumblings on Twitter that he's there's an issue maybe with the um with the label not wanting to release something. Like I've, I've seen uh-huh. him kind of bitching recently him and the uh, his producer that he works with a lot Harry Fraud. Uh-huh. have been kind of talking about stuff and he actually I think he released a new track maybe 2 or 3 weeks ago. Oh really? But that's the last I've heard. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I think he got a lot of slack, uh, a lot of flack after that last uh, um that last album and then he got a bunch of shows canceled, right? And then he was like um that that uh that the lyrics were uh demeaning and um to women and like had a couple concerts canceled and kind of got a little bit of a bad rap and it felt like he like from what I was seeing because he was hot on this he was on, hot on the tour circuit and then all of a sudden he like faded away and like there was no rumblings about that but but I like that guy a lot I like him a lot I don't know what's coming up with this whole Jay Z four forty four thing on oh, yeah. title and. Sp- Sprint customers. I don't fucking. What is this? I don't understand. I know now it's like exclusive, ridiculous. I mean, now it's like getting (laughs) as bad as I don't even know. I don't sprint. Sprint. (laughs) I don't know, man. I don't know. Sorry. Right. But um, well, his last album he released on Samsung. Like if you were had a Samsung phone, there was some kind of promotion with that. He's been about that. You know, when he comes over South by Southwest, it's like. You got an yeah. American Express? You can come to the show. <laughs> no, seriously, that's a, that's right. the deal. It's like this weird like partnership thing that he's got going on. I just wonder like how that. Of course, there's American Express. It's just a bunch of fucking white people in the audience. It's right. Just like fuck. the only people that can afford this crap. What uh? <laughs> how did you stumble? Like, have you always been into hip hop from day one? Oh or? yeah, for sure, without a doubt. Like whenever I was in um, whenever I was in uh um. I say when I was in middle school, um, I had well, I was like kind of like a, a latchkey kid, right? So it was good. Come home, my mom would be at work, single mom. We come home from school, and it would just be me and my brother and like the kids from the neighborhood. <laughs> and so this is in a suburb of Dallas, um, and um, so it would just be like us kids, like left to our own devices. And for whatever reason, we had a uh, we had a record player, and I got a hold of like a Run DMC record and we listened to that forever. And that was like it. That was like the very, very beginning. I mean, I listened to my mom's, you know, my mom's, uh, the music she listened to in the car, which was, you know, this was like, right, like 80s, you know, in the 80s. So this was like everything that I love to listen to (laughs) and like, you know, do karaoke to. And, um, you know, my grandparents, which listened to like, you know, 50s and 60s music. And so then it was just like from really, really young age, I was like just into, just into hip hop. And, um, you know, when we, when, you know, as I grew up and I got into high school, I had a pretty diverse, you know, group of friends, but of course any, um, 
anybody that grew up in the nineties in high school, <clears throat> I mean, there was, you know, there were, you know, I knew a lot of different people from a lot of backgrounds, but you know, by and large, it was, everybody was, you know, listening to nineties hip hop. I mean, that was, you know, just a strong force. And, you know, from my perspective, that's just everything that was, everybody was listening to, right. you know, and we're talking about like, you know, 14, 15, 16 year old white kids walk, driving around, <laughs> listening to gangster rap, you know, thinking they're hard, you know, empowered for whatever reason. And, um, yeah, that's just kind of like, I mean, that's, it's, you know, that's it, <laughs> you know, like growing up, you know, nineties hip hop. Yeah. It's like pretty ingrained. I definitely fell into that same thing. Uh, I'm a little bit younger than you, but pretty, pretty close, I think for reference. Yeah. So. <laughs> definitely i think the first thing i heard was nwa yeah <laughs> i mean yeah if you're an impressionable young kid and you hear that stuff you know you have no connection to it whatsoever so you just translate it into right. whatever it is you're thinking <laughs> or whatever it is you're going through in your life and then there it is you know now it's yeah it's pretty ingrained for sure i distinctly remember it was like an older a friend's older brother and they had whatever that there was an nwa song where it was easy and he's like it was the art of sucking dick i don't know if, do you remember this <laughs> oh my, to, they right? they came oh yeah they came up with so much raunchy shit and as a, like i said like as a 16 year old boy all you can think about is that you know and so like yeah these guys are like saying this stuff it's like yeah I was like seven and eight and just fucking eating uh, <laughs> eating it up man where were your parents uh, right i uh, you know they were they were busy. <laughs> I was um, kind of a latch, kind of a latchkey kid ish. Yeah, as well. We got like less less than one minute. Oh, literally shit. sixty seconds. What dun, dun, the fuck? Tick, tick, tick. Dude, it's gonna. It's feeling like a repost on this, <laughs> on this, uh, on this motorcycle thing. It's a little stressful. It's the worst feeling, right? Well, I mean, it's I, it's not. I mean, you know, I, again, I I didn't like make it like cheap, but you know, like it's counting down now. There's no bids, and um, you know, I'll just post it again. You know, put take more pictures, lower the price, five hundred bucks. Uh, you need to get a hot chick. Yeah, to there take, you go. Uh, to take a pick on it. There you go. So have somebody sit on it for me. Also, even what you need to do is this. If it doesn't sell, the I looked this up. I Googled this. Yeah. The best time to sell is like a Sunday evening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's Monday. Like everybody's at work. Everybody's at work, dude. Come on. Nobody has time to, <laughs> to bid on this um, thing in the next four, three, two, no. Shit. Oh, well. There you go. No bites. No bites. It's fine because, you know, I could just re, re, uh, repost it, but that's very interesting. Damn. Oh, well. Better back look to, next time. Next time, like I said, post back to the drawing board. Sunday evening, man. Yeah. That's, I always set mine up, and you can actually schedule it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whenever you do the posting, so yeah. you don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to mess with it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Brutal. Um, what about specifically, let's go back to hip hop, Action Bronson. Like, how did you stumble upon him? Because he's pretty niche. And I don't, you know. Um, that's a good question. You know what? I was work. you know what? I was working, um, I was working with somebody, um, at the salon. Uh huh. And, um, I think he turned me on to him. I think that's what it was. And, and actually, that night, the, that the show, um, at Moody, he was, um, he was there. Um, uh, at the show that night. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just through friends. I mean, I don't know that I was digging around trying to find something new. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was through a friend of mine. It's through a friend of mine that definitely, in, that definitely embodies action Bronson a lot more than I do. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was just through, just through a friend right now, the hip hop that I listen to, you know, I'm following so many different people on social media now. Yeah. And, um, and you know the majority of the music that I get turned on to is is really through social media. I, mean, I do fuck around with the uh, the iTunes, like suggested this and that, you know. Right. But um, but um, but but really, I'm you know all the different all the real sneakerheads that I that I follow and all the um, all the people that are in that industry are a little bit closer tied to to that industry are um are the ones that i get all my music ideas from you know i i haven't been able to turn off um and it's not so much hip-hop right now because i'm not i'm not necessarily super in love with a lot of the stuff that's coming out but with um uh like sampha 
and um, of course the Kendrick Lamar stuff. And um, <clears throat> those are the types of things that I'm listening to now. It's like more of like some of these, um, some of these R and B type artists that are sort of starting to come out of, out. And I think that those guys were, you know, I don't, I don't know. It just wasn't seem, it didn't seem like there was a lot of R and B or like, I don't want to say Neil soul cause that's not, that's not right. But like, um, like R and B artists, male R and B artists that are coming out and just singing cool songs that don't necessarily have to have a trap beat and don't necessarily have to use auto tune. Right. You know, and that kind of, that kind of music I feel is starting to come back around a little bit. It's, yeah. It, it's a little corny, but I think that, and it's a little like, um, it's a little, uh, um, uh, it's not, it's not, um, there's not a formula, right? You don't see the formula. You don't yeah. hear the formula. And so, um, but that's what I've been into lately is just trying to dig around and see like some cool, some cool like R and B jams, you know, most of these dudes are like, you know, if you just go down like whatever Drake album and you just like, look <laughs> at who's the singer on those, you know, seriously though, I mean, yeah. you just, that's one way you can like find them, but that's, but yeah, I mean, I haven't listened to a whole lot of hip hop lately I've, I've got this uh did you know when the de la soul came out and they like released their entire catalog did you did you get that at all they, it was like a couple of years ago de la soul released their entire catalog for free you sign up i did not like, know that it was like every album for free and so i got and that's constantly 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 in my rotation and my phone and my car is yeah. like constantly de la soul constantly so anyway so um but uh, yeah what do you listen to right now uh in terms of hip i mean i do actually i enjoy the mumble rap to a degree like certain songs i love like, migos i love migos <laughs> but that's it because they're just the best i love future uh i mean i just i fucking love future because he can just take a hook like molly percocet molly like who the fuck can make that sound like if i tried to make or if one of us tried to record that song molly percocet it's not gonna work no but fucking future says it and he's like just like boom yeah. it's magic it's those a guys, hit those guys will say anything <laughs> like what's the craziest shit i can say but for me it kind of harkens back to like the old school houston rap scene yeah you know what i mean like fat pat and i don't know if you were ever into any of that stuff like Big Mo, Fat Pat, UGK, DJ Screw, Swisher House, like yep. Chameleonaire and all, all that stuff. And that's very similar because it's like the South, you know yep. what I mean? It's like, that's kind of the Southern music. Right. The Southern version of rap. It's not like as yeah. sophisticated lyrically as right. the guys from New York or even right. to some degree, I guess, the West Coast. But Yeah. And that's and that's the thing is that, well, I mean, I would say, I, I, I would say that they took that and ran with it and now there's no turning back. <laughs> and so that's why when a lyricist comes out, it's just like, Oh, like, look at right? this. Like, Oh my God. Like I can understand and fucking understand. You know, <laughs> you know, well, there, you know, I mean, I think there's, 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 uh, you know, there's again, you know, you know, with nineties hip hop being where I came from, essentially what I, what I'd say, and you know, is like that that's what it was. And even though I grew up in the South, not necessarily in Houston, I knew that that type of music existed but it wasn't anything that I necessarily understood right. and it wasn't anything that I necessarily was drawn to. And now, you know, and again, you know, like drive slow, Kanye's drive slow. And that was like one of the first, like, Oh, like this, like this type of rap is becoming a little bit more interesting to me now. Cause Kanye's like my gateway drug <laughs> into anything because, you know, he'll take anything and, you know, and create something out of it. And, and now it's like, yeah, South, like Houston rap and all of that stuff has just become so much more mainstream now. So it makes a lot more sense, but, but yeah. But, uh, I mean, that's not primarily what I listen to. I man, right now, I guess I did, I did enjoy Kendrick's new album. He's, I've never not been a huge fan of his. I've liked the stuff that he's featured on, like, no mm -hmm. more parties in LA yeah. and you know a couple other tracks but I was just never really like connected with him I do like what is it I think DNA off yeah. of the new album uh -huh. to me just that song that's the kind of shit that I love yeah it's uh that whole album I mean dude, the Pippa Butterfly was like one of those really cool things where like you can um listen to an album from beginning to end and it's story and uh 
that I mean I love that album. I like the new stuff. The new stuff is like hard hitting and like aggressive, yeah. and it's like oh fuck. <laughs> and um, but uh, the to Pippa Butterfly was like, you know, it's like one of the first albums in a long time that I had listened to from beginning to end, just all the way through. Um, but um, but uh, but yeah, he's he's pretty he's pretty good, man. Have you ever delved into MF Doom at all? Um, uh, well. Um, let's see. So when they come, they've, he, they've been on the, um, done a lot of collaborations, right? Yeah. And what's the, what was the, what was the earliest really popular? Probably the, uh, he did one with Danger Mouse called Danger Doom. And I know they used to play that on the bumps for like Adult Swim Uh on Cartoon Network. Did it, um, Evan Doom did it, um. That was that was did they collaborate with Jay Z on that Gray album? Was that what that no, was too? No, that was that was the same producer. So Dan- uh-huh. Danger Mouse was the was producer the, oh, on okay. the Gray album. Yeah, for the for that kind of mashup. But he actually so he partnered with Doom and they made uh, what is it? God, I'm fucking <laughs> can't believe I can't remember the name of the album. Danger Doom. Yeah. The mask and the mouse. Yeah. No, I haven't. I mean, you know, that Gray album when that came out, I was definitely into that. But in and I've definitely listened to all of that stuff, but I don't recall. What are they doing right now? Uh, I mean, he hasn't released much in a while, but his back catalog, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Because he's got, so he wears that metal, like. Mask, yep. Yeah, Dr. Doom mask. Yep. But he's also got a couple of different personas that he raps as. So one is MF Doom, and one is Victor Vaughn, and then he's got another one, King Ghidorah, which is named after, like, the the Godzilla three-headed dragon thing i don't know if you remember that if you've ever seen that one no <laughs> but it's fucking great i just i love his style yeah well I'd, i'll definitely check that out because it, i mean i it it's it's um it's time for me to like expand a little bit it's kind of a throwback to some degree it's um uh, trying to think probably wu-tang yeah kind of lo-fi yep. sound where it's like the records they're sampling, you might get some hiss, you get some crackle in yeah. it. You know what I mean? It's like he's in his basement uh-huh. putting this shit together and sampling old Fantastic Four cartoons and just all kinds of different shit. Yeah. But he's awesome. awesome. It's like there's no hooks, there's no chorus. It's just him spitting rhymes, just these bizarro stream of consciousness <laughs> rhymes. Sounds perfect. But it, it, it works. Yeah, yeah. He's my favorite MC of all time. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Great stuff. I mean, just a fucking genius. I feel like he took rap to its, like, furthest possible bizarro yeah. uh, form. And he just, kill, just killed rap years ago. He Like, in 2003, he probably killed you should, rap. Uh, you should edit a, <laughs> one of those tracks into right. this right right as you were talking about it. Just like <laughs> but it's like hip-hop is still going, but MF Doom killed that shit long ago. He just destroyed it because it was like his... I think, it, you know, he was kind of in the era of kind of the big, like, you know, it's like about how many houses you've got in cars and blah, yes, blah, blah. Yes, And he's just... Such a terrible time. <laughs> he stepped away from that and just t- did something that's totally lo-fi, like yeah. un- not all this crazy production, not like the auto-tune yeah. and shit like that, that has uh, per- been become pervasive. He's just doing this stuff yeah. out of his basement and it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Sounds I, cool. I definitely recommend you check him out. <laughs> I will. Uh, but uh, I know you've got a client coming up a little yes, bit later sir, this afternoon. Yes, sir, I do. So we're going to let you slide out. Thank but, you, uh, Ryan, it was awesome of you to come out and participate in the Schizoid podcast. I really appreciate <laughs> it, man. Thank Had you, Had a Cooper. little fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, man, for sure. <laughs> Take it All easy. All right, thanks, bro.